Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Welcome to Husband Material. I'm pretty excited again because today on the show, we have Dr. Craig Cashwell, who was my professor in the pastoral sex addiction program and the co-author of Shadows of the Cross, which is something that you worked on with the Dr. Patrick Carnes, the legend. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I remember one of the biggest takeaways I had from your teaching in the PSAP program was when you said something to the effect of, when in doubt, normalize and validate the heck out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good Southern expression, right? You just normalize and validate the heck out of it. But yeah, I've been training counselors for almost 30 years. And, uh, you know, particularly when you're getting started in this work, there's a sense of like, I don't, I don't know what to say. What do I say? And so that's, that's a bit of a, a, a go-to mantra for me. When you don't know what to say, just normalize what the person's going through, validate their experience. And that goes so far in the, in the healing process. Yeah. That has helped me tremendously personally. And I think many of the guys who are listening have indirectly benefited from that. Yeah. So you've been working with training counselors for the past 30 years. What else do people need to know about Craig Cashwell? Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I've been, I feel really blessed. I stumbled into what I think was God's calling for me at a young age. Um, and, and, and initially early on, I didn't even know it, right? Like I just, I just thought, well, I think I'll do this professionally. And, but this, um, this work of integrating the psychological um, wholeness and wellness with the spiritual um, has been just such a, um, you know, I, I've been blessed to walk around and ask questions that I'm curious about. And that's really what mo- most of my writing and research has been about, Shadows of the Cross. Wow, what a blessing to, to write that book with, with uh, Patrick Horns and his wife, Penny. Um, and um, to really, I, was, I, was going, I remember going through my own spiritual direction while I was writing that book. And it's just such a rich time for me spiritually as I was, you know, stumbling into things that I just, you know, I grew up in the church and, and I, you know, I certainly learned a thing or two along the way. Uh, but just the deepening of my own faith journey um, and my um, connection to God um, through that process, right? So I hope I've given to people um, a, a portion of what I've been given out of being able, being blessed to do what I do and this integration of psychology and spirituality. It's so rich when we can experience God in the middle of our brokenness and the sexual brokenness Mm -hmm. that is a huge part of struggling with pornography. Unfortunately, as you've taught me, sometimes spirituality can get in the way. And there's a concept that I want to introduce to everyone today and have you help us understand, which is called spiritual bypass. What is that? Well, it's a it's a term that was the, the term was coined back in the mid '80s, actually by a Buddhist psychologist named John Wellwood, um, and he observed and and he was a, a, an author and he wrote about it, um, talking about this idea. And I've actually actually uh, sort of pulled what he had as the original definition because I just think it's so beautifully said. So if I can just read that part of it, uh, um, 
he wrote that a spiritual bypass is, and this is the quote part, a tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices. I think that's important. Ideas, so beliefs and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. So it's such a beautiful phrase, bypass, right? It's a detour. Um, and so rather than go into our own trauma, go into our own woundedness, our own unresolved tasks, we, I would argue, um, at least when it becomes really chronic, we misuse our spiritual journey to avoid all of that, to sort of pack that away and, and not deal with it directly. Um, I always like to say, so, so it's a coping strategy, right? It's a, it's a defensive coping strategy. Um, and it's, it's unconscious. People aren't like choosing to do this. People aren't saying, well, I'm feeling anxious right now and I don't want to feel anxious. So there's not that cognitive process going on. It's very unconscious. Um, but what we are really starting to understand from the research, I, I, I first heard about this term uh, probably in the early to mid nineties and was really almost immediately kind of like, Whoa, that's interesting. Cause I grew up in the church and initially, honestly, in my arrogance, I, I said, wow, I know people who do that. Right. And then, <laughs> yeah, then over time, as I started to study it more and, and did more of my own work, I went, Oh yeah, I do know one person who does it in me as me, right? So I, I recognized it in myself and how that wasn't helpful for me. And so um, rec more recently over the last five or six years, we've been doing a lot more research around bypass. Um, historically, it had just been this kind of term that was talked about. It resonated with people. Uh, but as we do more research, we really sort of are starting to see, yeah, there really are kind of these two components to it. There's this over-spiritualizing component um, and, and then combined with the function of that is really psychological avoidance, right? So we don't want to, we don't want to feel those things. We don't want to go through those experiences. We don't want to resolve those traumas because to resolve those traumas means to acknowledge those traumas and that they were traumatic and that's painful. Um, and so um, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a way to avoid. And we're starting to understand from the research that um, there's actually a, probably a difference between kind of an acute spiritual bypass and a chronic spiritual bypass, right? So the acute spiritual bypass is I just get overwhelmed in the moment and um, I, I use spiritual bypass to cope with what is right in front of me in this moment, but I don't do it all the time. Um, and um, that's in contrast with chronic spiritual bypass, which is this is a way of life for a person. It's become patterned. This has become ingrained. Um, and we see the latter as being the one that's problematic. The first one may actually be helpful um, and not, not a bad thing. Um, and so I think that distinction is really, really important. Um, yeah. Let's get really practical so that we can grasp what this is and if I'm doing it. So you said that spiritual bypass can be using ideas or practices yeah. that are part of our spiritual life in a way that they weren't meant to be used. So what are some mm -hmm. of those common ideas that get thrown around that are misused? Yeah. So uh, I think one of them is around uh, one of the big ones for me, one that, that I'm very interested in is our relationship with our emotions, our emotional life. Right. And so I always circle back around to, I think we have scriptural references to Jesus being angry. He was in the temple. He was, he was angry, right? He was not, he was not having a chat with the people. Mm -hmm. He was tossing tables, right? He was mad. Yeah. 
Now we have an example of Jesus being deeply sad. Um, the shortest passage in the Bible, Jesus wept right before he, he, um, he resurrected Lazarus. So we see his tears, which is fascinating to me because my, my take is always, you know, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? He knew he could do that, but he was still just so saddened by the burden of yeah. this loss and, 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 what was the suffering around him? It's beautiful, right? He didn't sidestep yeah. it, right? He didn't. He didn't not feel, right? He felt. Um, and in my take, and this is you know, different. People have different takes on this, but when I read the passage where Jesus was in the garden, and he says, "Let not this cup pass from me," I think he was scared. I think in his humanity, mm. you know, he was scared. So those big primary emotions, right there, we see Jesus getting mad. We see Jesus being sad, and we see Jesus being scared, right? And um, but in the religious community, sometimes there's a, there's a message around not feeling those things. The, the, the example that comes up for me a lot, I think about this, I share the story. When my father passed away, we did this receiving line, right? Which is for an introvert like me, it's just horrible, especially when you're dealing with that kind of loss. But the things that people said, and a lot of people just came up, gave me a hug, love you, loved your dad. And this is a hard time praying for you. Oh, that's just, that's just good stuff. You know, that's just supportive, encouraging. And then there were the people who said, Things like he's in a better place, um, so don't be sad. You know, don't be sad. He's he's not suffering anymore, right? And those responses actually anger me because I, the, you know, theologically, I believe he's in a better place, and I believe that he's not suffering anymore. I think those things are true. But to tell me not to be sad when my father has just left this earth, right? Like that's such a spiritual bypass measure. I am sad, and what I think you're really saying is you can't handle my sadness, so you're going to give me this platitude and tell me not to be sad, right? So it, I think. Um, when, um, so I think this shows up around complicated grief for people a lot, right? Like I knew about spiritual bypass. I knew about these messages. I actually leaned over to my oldest brother at one point and I said, the next person that tells me not to be sad, can I punch them? <laughs> I was joking. I wasn't going to punch them. But the point was, I've had enough people tell me not to be sad here, right? Or, or there's nothing to be afraid about God's in control. Well, I believe that God's in control and I'm a human being who gets scared sometimes, right? I feel fear. And there are so, some scriptures that say, do not be afraid. Right. right. Do not fear. God right. is with you. Yeah. 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 And so there's the struggle, right? Like, and so if people, um, um, I, I think, I, I think that what those scriptures are really telling us is that we can find comfort in God, that when we experience fear, we can find comfort in God. And that's true. And I think that's healthy and whole and beautiful. But when it gets translated as, well, you're not, you're not really a person of faith if you're scared or if you feel the sadness at this level because you're not having fully relying on God. I think that's, that's the part that starts to feel like bypass to me because it's avoiding the human condition. We want to be God. We don't want to be human. Um, and, and we're human. I get, you know, I, I get scared. I get anxious and anxieties of a friend of mine. We travel together. Um, and what we know psychologically, you know, Jung said this a hundred years ago, he said, what you resist persists that what you try to tuck away, what you try to push away and pretend like it's not true. It actually, um, I would actually say it, it not only persists, it grows, it wants expression, right? We, um, 
I think John Breer called it the rebound effect, and you know, this idea that it comes back bigger when we try to deny it and suppress it. And that, that's true around, I think, our sexuality. That's true around our emotional lives. That's true around um, traumatic experiences that we have. We just want to not deal with it. Um, and it, that, that doesn't work. I mean, that, the short answer is that doesn't work. Yeah. And so can our, can our spirituality allow us to go into our fear with support of loving brothers and sisters and encouragement of you know clergy and therapists and the people who can help us, the sponsors are a great example, people who can help us in this journey and support us? Or does it tell us, no, don't be afraid, don't be sad, um, you know, just don't feel those things. And, and that's where we get into this sort of toxic positivity that can't show up in the church. It shows up in other places too, but it can certainly show up in the church. Toxic positivity. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Right. I wish I'd coined that phrase because it's it's really becoming a buzz phrase now, but you know, it, it's, it's true, right? Like how, how often have you been in your religious community and everybody's fine? How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. I'm great. You know, we know that there are people suffering every day in the church, but if you're I've heard it called me, the Christian F word. Yeah. Right. So I mean, that's right. And so it's fascinating to me, like if what I just know, and I've experienced this, like I know I'm struggling with something, but I walk into my faith community and everybody's all smiles and, and you know dressed up in their Sunday best and they're fine and they're great. And they're blessed and they're highly favored. I'm like, I don't think I can tell people that I'm not okay. Right. And so that starts to support spiritual bypass. Right. I can't acknowledge that. Um, uh, I'm not okay, you know, and, and and the reality, I think just the human condition, we're not all okay all the time. We're just not. We struggle in our own ways, emotionally, behaviorally, cognitively. We just struggle, you know, it is the human condition. And so, um, you know, to me, a spirituality where we can acknowledge that I've often said, if every church could function like a 12-step meeting, church would be a cool place. I mean, church is a cool place. I love church. And how much better would it be if we all just kind of showed up like we really were? And that was okay. Like the, the response was thanks for sharing as opposed to the judgment that we sometimes can feel in our community. So anyway, yeah. Right. yeah. Getting the sense that we can use the Bible to express our emotions yeah. rather than resist them. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard, and this resonates, for, there are two things that resonate for me here. One is that our emotions are meant to flow like a river, right? Which means, you know, tears are not always sadness. Sometimes they're just, I'm just overwhelmed by the beauty of nature and I, I cry, right? It's just, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful release in the body to, to cry um, or the body will tremble when it's allowed to feel its fear, right? Really feel its fear. Uh, and we know animals in the animal world, they experience trauma all the time, but they don't have PTSD, right? Because they know how to literally shake it off. Their bodies will tremor and tremble and get rid of that traumatic energy, that traumatic stress. And so, yeah, I think that's a really great way to think about it, that we, um, we, we don't want to, and, and for some people, um, particularly those of us, I'm in this camp who have trauma history, sometimes those emotions can get overwhelming and we do need to downregulate them a little bit. Uh, but that's very different than just shutting them off, suppressing them, um, yeah. stuffing them down. Yeah. Another one that I want to come back to is what you said about anger. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, it seems like what the Bible says about forgiveness and needing to forgive other people means mm-hmm. I shouldn't be angry at them. Yeah. 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 It's a great, it's a great point. And it, um, 
I'll even, if I can, I'll share a, a quick story with you about a partner that I was working with who had just discovered that her husband of 40 some years had had um, basically been paying for an apartment for uh, a mistress for 30 years. I mean, I don't know the exact details now. I don't remember them, but essentially just discovered this huge betrayal. Um, it showed up in my office. I'm really grateful the training. Uh, she was she was difficult interpersonally initially, and I was really grateful for a trauma lens that let me know she actually turned out to be one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever worked with, and I still occasionally get cards from her. Um, but in that moment, you know, she was so traumatized and so overwhelmed by this discovery. And part of what she chose to do wasn't something we talked about in therapy, but after a couple of sessions or so, she decided she wanted to get back into her faith community because she had not um, not been active for a while. And she decided she wanted to, as part of her healing process, she was deciding she wanted a divorce, da 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 da, da. But she um, um, went to church and the pastor preached what I'm sure was a very well-intentioned um, sermon that essentially led up to anyone that you're holding a grudge against right now, you need to forgive them in this moment. It needs to be gone. And as she was telling me the story, so now she comes in dysregulated because she can't do that. And she feels less than spiritually because she can't just do that. Psychologically, what I know is that forgiveness is a process. It's not an event. And it takes time to work on even deciding whether to forgive someone and then working at the process of forgiving them, letting go of that anger. And particularly with the betrayal of this magnitude, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was the wrong sermon at the wrong time for this woman. And I think that message of you should forgiveness is like this, I think is not, I think is a good example of spiritual bypass, honestly. And, and what people end up doing is they do what's called pseudo forgiveness. They say, oh, I forgive you. But then every time they think about it, they're still just, just inside, right? Which means they haven't forgiven. Right? Yeah, totally. This is so common when we're trying to process our childhood experiences and our parents and the ways that our parents have contributed to our sexual struggles. Um, so I think that process of forgiveness for our parents um, is one that comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's like, I always, the, the um, I always think about the both and in these um, situations, right? So yes, I do think, you know, um, at some point forgiving pe other people is a, is a very spiritual act, right? So I think um, letting go of our own grievances, letting go of our anger. <clears throat> yeah. I think it's very spiritual. Um, and it can still be true that they hurt us, right? So forgiving someone is not letting them off the hook. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's just a letting go of the anger part of that. So, right. um, holding that, holding that both and piece, I think is really, really important around that work. Acknowledging that we got wounded yes. in ways we all get wounded in ways. It's right. part of the, our, our experience. And, and, and for some it's, it's in that direction that, in, that leaves them needing some coping strategy that becomes maladaptive and addictive like pornography. And to let go of that anger, I have to experience it. I have to stop sidestepping it. I got to get into it. Yeah, yeah. You, you've probably had this experience, but people who tell you they're not angry at someone through gritted teeth, right? Like they're, <laughs> they're so clearly angry, but they're telling you they're not angry. Um, and for those people who are highly religious, that can be a form of spiritual bypass, right? I should have forgiven. So I'm going to say I have, even though I really haven't let go and really released this um, anger that I'm holding, whether it's cognitive anger, like I'm thinking these angry thoughts, where it's just stored in the body anger that we're feeling. It hasn't been, hasn't been released yet. Yeah. 
Totally. Another example that comes to mind when you say that is when people say, I know God loves me or I know he has a plan for me, mm-hmm. but there's so much sadness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So can we hold the both hand there, right? Like, can we uh, not go to the platitudes of, yes, God has a plan for you, have faith, you know, uh, you know, you can, you can be joyful in knowing that God has a plan that you're going to be delivered. You know, it's, it's those, those are the platitudes that tell people to move away from their sadness. It may be that the barrier to moving forward in the way that God would have you move is that you have, haven't grieved the old way yet. You haven't really experienced that sadness, right? So I'm always in that. Can we hold the both hand? You know, can we hold both of those things as true? Um, you know, people will also try to just. You know, my my parents did the best they could. That's one we hear all the time. I'm like, yeah. Can you hold that as true and hold the fact that they impacted you in some negative ways? Can you hold both of those? And I think that's the I think that's the the key in that piece. That all of that can be true. It's not in, incompatible. And there's so much freedom in that word and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Rather than the word, but. Right. Right. It's got to be either this or this, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a place we get stuck in. So when you're working with a client in your office who seems to be stuck in a spiritual bypass, how do you help them get unstuck? Well, it, there's not an easy answer to that, as you might imagine, right? It's a coping strategy. Um, I think about all coping strategies, whether it's spiritual bypass or whether it's pornography, right? I think about it like a um, uh, a crutch that's keeping somebody upright, right? Like that's, I mean, it is a coping strategy. And, um, you know, it did start out as an addiction. It started out as a way to cope, right? And then it became compulsive and addictive. And so, I'm not going to walk up to somebody, if we use that analogy, I'm not going to walk up to somebody standing on the street who's got a crutch and just kick the crutch out from them. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's not a compassionate act. And it, and it, and it may be, I don't know if they need that crutch or not, so I'm going to go kick it out from under them. So I think we have to, to really think, I think about this as working in very gentle, very subtle, very indirect ways. Um, now, there are people who, I mean, there, there are people who come into counseling and they go, yeah, I think I've been over-spiritualizing this. I need to deal with my trauma. Well, they're in a different place, right? We can have more direct conversations there. But for some people, they don't even recognize their bypass. It's unconscious. Um, it gets sometimes gets supported in their faith community. So a, an example here would be like compulsive goodness in one's church, like mm-hmm. being on every committee. And even though you've got health issues and your family is suffering and, but you've got to serve, you've got to serve, you've got to serve, right? That's a, that, that can be a form of spiritual bypass, right? Because it's not really service. It's I'm going to build myself up and feel okay about myself because I'm, you know, I'm doing all this, all this service work. That That's a form of bypass, that compulsive wow. goodness and compulsive service. And, you know, we're called to be servants, right? Like I, that's important. That's not what I'm talking about, but when it becomes this unconscious compulsion to serve other people, then it's really no longer really about the other people. It's about us, right? It's about our need to feel okay. And so, yeah, so that's a form of that. Yeah. And that totally feeds into needing a place where I don't have to be compulsively good. Right. Yeah. 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 Because it's not, it's not true, right? None of us are all good. None of us are all bad. 
right? We're, we're a complicated hot mess of, of some of all of that. <laughs> and I think that's what this is about really is sort of knowing, you know, starting from a foundation that God loves all of us, the parts that we love and the parts that we don't love. Um, and God loves all of us. And so there's a, there's a passage that I know some people, you know, people have different relationships with the Gnostic Gospels. I get that. But there's a, a, a saying of Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas, I think it is. I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't quite remember it. But he basically says, if we bring forward what's within us, we can heal that. If we don't bring forward what's within us, it will kill us. And I mean, it just proves to me that the, the, the original, the first psychologist, the first brilliant psychologist, at least in the Western world, was was Jesus, right? So, because that is that's what we're talking about. You know, you bring forward these parts of yourselves, including you know, an addiction to pornography that you're ashamed of, that you don't feel good about, and you bring it forward and you bring it into the light in safe places, right? Not everybody's safe around this kind of stuff, and. And in the, just even just the sharing of it, right? There's an unburdening of the shame around that, and it's the power of support groups because you know everybody goes, "Thanks for sharing," and they're, they're they've got their own struggles and they're wrestling in some of the very same ways. They understand; they're not going to judge you for that. Um, and I think that's part of the question of that you asked. The original question was, you know, how do we help support people in moving through this? We 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 love them. Um, if I can say it that way, we just radically love them and we love all parts of them. Like it doesn't mean that I want you to keep using pornography, but it means that I can recognize that you're coping the best way that you can with whatever traumas you experienced. And, um, or you just got plugged into high speed internet pornography and you got hooked and it just drew you right in and, and that you're miserable and that you're suffering and that I can just hold a space of compassion for you. And that. I think that's the biggest thing, right? And then we and then we invite people to see if they can just touch those places that they typically push away, right? So you and I are talking, and you st- you start talking about something, and maybe there's just a little catch in your voice, and I'm like, oh, we just bumped, you know, Drew just bumped into some sadness there, right? Like internally, that's what I'm thinking. And you want to move on, right? You want to change the t- subject and start talking about something different. And the I'm joy like, of the ask- Lord is my strength, <laughs> right, right? And I might say, yes, and right there, there was something that happened. Can you just sit with that for, would it be okay? I'm always asking clients permission. Would it be, because maybe the answer is no, it's not okay. It's too overwhelming. And I don't want to do that. But um, can, is it okay if you just sit with that? I, it, I got the sense maybe there was some sadness there. I saw it in your eyes and I'm wondering. So I just touch it, right? And they're either going to drop into it a little bit and feel some of that, which is a starting point to realize that they can feel some of that and not get overwhelmed. And that's okay. And it may even feel good to have some tears flow around that. I mean, crying is crying is just the most, you know, I love to cry. Like a good cry to me is this the most cleansing, healing thing imaginable, right? But if they weren't brought up that way, if they don't believe that to be true, you know, these are new experiences for them. And so I want to support that, encourage that. But they might also say, yeah, they, they might also just double down on locking that sadness down, right? And if they do that, then it's like, okay. So that's, they'll say, no, I'm not sad. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I thought I saw something there. Maybe not. And, and I just pulled back away from it, right? Because to try to force it at that point, they're going to react against that. So it's this interesting kind of gentle kind of uh, a dance that we do together, right? Where um, some people can just have it kind of named and put right in their face and go, yeah, do that. I want to work on that. And other people will absolutely say, you know, but that's, 
but that's just what I'm, what I, you know, what I know. That's my truth, right? And that's, and they'll, they'll sort of, you can hear the locks clicking into place at that point, and, and know that you've got to be more subtle and more nuanced in how you how you work with it. So, and again, keeping in mind that spiritual bypassing as a short-term solution may actually be really healthy. Um, so what we're really talking about is those people, that's just what they do. The way it gets talked about sometimes in the counseling literature is, is, is recognizing the distance, uh, the difference between um, uh, uh, distracting yourself from something which can be healthy and avoiding something, which is a more kind of chronic pattern. And that's the one that seems to be problematic. So you're saying that distracting myself from pain for a little while can actually be healthy? If you're overwhelmed and, um, you know, to the point of being not functional and you just, you you use spiritual bypass as one of your coping strategies to get through that. Yeah. We don't see that that has any, um, any lasting harm in contrast to example, if you've had a long-term pornography addiction and you get overwhelmed and you, you have slip, right. You can recover from a slip. People do it all the time. But if that slip goes into a binge, goes into a major relapse, then that's more problematic. We don't see that in spiritual bypass, right? It's much more when people get this thing kind of locked down as a chronic way to avoid anything that's undesirable, any any part of themselves they don't want to look at, any part of their experience that they don't want to acknowledge, uh, any emotions that they don't want to feel, which are usually that 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 big big three, anger, sadness, fear, shame, too. Shame is, fits in that. Maybe it's the big four. Um, so yeah, yeah. This is so good. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm even thinking about how sometimes we actually bypass joy too. Yeah. Yeah. Or bypass receiving love. Like when somebody gives me a compliment or a wonderful word of affirmation, I might bypass that and say, oh, no, all glory to God. It's him, not me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jung talked about a hundred years ago. Uh, Jung was talking about the shadow, right? Which I think is a great way to think about this, that we put those parts of ourselves that we don't like into the, into the background, right? We push them away. We don't acknowledge them. Um, he wasn't talking about um, spiritual bypass per se, but it, but it really fits. But he also wrote about what he called the golden shadow which are these, these gifts that we've been given that sometimes we're just, we're either growing into them or we're not, we're not willing to accept them. Right. And you're, you, so you're right. Yeah. You watch people who will, um, I often say it's like, there's, there's Velcro for anything negative. Someone says about you and there's Teflon for anything. Someone says positive about you, right. It just slides right off. And certainly one of the ways you can deflect um, is all glory to God. And it's not, I mean, I think there's a place to acknowledge that if we have a gift, where it comes from, right? Like where we've, it is, if it's a gift, it is a gift that we've been given by God, right? But, and yet God, you know, it's, it's, you probably know this experience, but like when you give someone a compliment and they deflect it like that, you're kind of like, huh, well, I tried to say something nice to you, right? But you didn't receive it, right? So there, yeah, absolutely. There's this idea of being able to take in and receive, not in a, not in an ego building way, but it much more like gratitude that I've been given that gift and can, yeah. can share that with the world in a way that makes a difference, right? So. Gratitude and holding that posture of both and. I can mm-hmm. receive it and I can praise God at the same mm-hmm. time. Both and, yes, yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to say that, Drew. That's cool. Thanks. I'm learning from you. I mean, we got some new terms today. Toxic positivity, compulsive goodness, if somebody is really identifying with this and realizing, I've, I think I've done this. I think I've 
been guilty of spiritual bypass and and it's been a crutch for me. What would you say to that person in this place of kind of realizing some uncomfortable truths today? Yeah, I would start by saying, wow, that's amazing noticing, right? Like you're noticing something that's probably been there for a while and you haven't had access to it. Now you do. How cool is that? Right. Because they're they're in a place of like wanting the the inner critic is bubbling up there for them. Right. Like they're wanting Mm -hmm. to beat themselves up. So I'm going to really affirm and say that's amazing that you're noticing that now. And then the crutch analogy works here, too. Right. Like I don't want to walk up and try to kick somebody's crutch out from under them. But neither if they've been using this crutch, neither can they just necessarily throw it away. Right. They, they may they may want to not use it as much, but they may want to hang on to that crutch. Right. In case they they do need it to just get through some moment. I would much rather if somebody struggled with pornography and they're in spiritual bypass, I'd much rather them use spiritual bypass to cope with a with a, an acute stressor than pornography. Right. So um, so um, I would be encouraging. Um, and sometimes I'll ask people, like, what would you say if your best friend just said this to you? Because what we all do uh, sort of innately is we show other people mercy and compassion and give them grace more so than we do ourselves, right? And so I try to, I'll sometimes try to just gently kind of point out like, oh, wow, this is great noticing. And I'm wondering if you can show yourself some grace around this, that this was a coping thing for you and you needed it to get by. I often say to people like, you know, we can't know the alternate universe if you didn't use this coping strategy whether it's pornography, whether it's spiritual bypass, whether it's food, whether it's gaming, whatever it is, I'll say, we don't know what the alternative universe looks like. And if you hadn't had this in your life, you might've been dead at 16 with a heroin needle in your arm. You know, we just can't know, right? Like at some level, we might even can be grateful that you developed a way to survive, even as we now say, hey, this is not working for me anymore. And I want to do something different. So there's kind of the both end, right? Like it's not hating this part of ourselves because when we hate this part of ourselves, we just try to suppress it and push it back away. But learning to embrace that part of ourselves as well, that this is part of who I am. And it came on, online as a coping strategy um, and it's not healthy. And, and I, you know, but I, but I need to be able to look at it in the light, right? That's why I like the shadow analogy is like bring it into the light and look at it. And then it just kind of comes dust when it's really brought out into the light and looked at. And um, again, it's that quote from Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas, you bring it forward um, and acknowledge it and uh, recognize it and uh, be curious about it and share it with safe people. And, and then it can be healed. Then it can be healed, but not when it's tucked back away uh, and suppressed. So, in fact, we know people who engage in spiritual bypass chronically, the research is now showing us they have more anxiety, they have more depression, and more self-reported stress, right? So, again, it doesn't really work uh, in the long term. works in the short term, but not in the long term. As you were saying, wow, amazing noticing and just normalizing and validating the heck out of it, yeah, I felt yeah. a reduction in my anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a calm swept over me while you were offering that gentleness and compassion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think part of the role of helpers, whether they're clergy, whether they're, um, you know, elders or deacons or or, leaders, uh, lay leaders in the church or whether they're therapists, I think that part of our work is to show people, if we come from a place of faith, as as you and I do, um, as a quote unquote secular therapist, I still think that part of my role is to show people um, the grace and mercy and depth of compassion of God as best I can. I'm not God, right? So I, I have my limitations, but 
Um, because that's the space in which people can begin to love themselves, just like they people swallow the negative things that people say about them. If they're given more grace, shown that, then, then they be- may begin to realize they deserve that because we all do, right? We're all children of God. We all deserve that. And that sometimes is what gives us the courage to sit in some of those painful places that can be then be transformed and healed rather than avoiding them. Amen. Yeah. When someone is really getting this, like they're really grasping it and beginning to move through emotions rather than around them. What are some of those signs that show you, hey, I think this is a good path that you're on. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're you're really growing in this area spiritually and emotionally. Yeah. So, you know, as a, as a therapist, there's a little bit of the proofs in the pudding, right? So whatever you're coming into counseling for is a getting better, um, whether it's um, struggle with sexual behavior, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, uh, whatever that might be, um, is it getting better? So there's a, there's a bottom line there that we need to look at, right? But there are also some processes that as a, a therapist I'm interested in, and that is when people don't um, sort of automatically, I, I, I think about it like, um, if life is a highway, it's got bumps, it's got curves, it's got twists. Some of the roads are lovely. To, to, the view is lovely in some of them. Some places you're driving, it's not easy to look around and see what's there. But are people automatically going to that exit that they tend to take, right? And so, again, it could be pornography. It could be spiritual bypass. It could be when things get a little bit rough, do, are they looking for the exits? Or are they willing to go? I don't like this, but I know I need to stay in it. I'm going to stay on the highway. I'm not going to take that exit that I've always taken. And, and I think that's an important part of that, right? So we're, we're sort of cultivating this cognitive awareness, but also this embodied awareness, like, oh, this is what my anxiety feels like. Oh, look at that. Well, I've been talking with my therapist and I can use breathing techniques. And I know that a weighted blanket helps bring down my anxiety. So I've built some resources that are not maladaptive so that I can be okay, right? Because we're not looking that we're not saying, hey, don't use spiritual bypass and just let yourself be flooded with all this overwhelming emotion. That's not the answer. Um, but to begin to develop healthy coping strategies, to begin to know what your pattern is. Some people get overwhelmed emotionally and some people just shut down emotionally when they when things get rough. We call it hyperarousal and hypoarousal. Um, those are again, that's those are responses of the autonomic nervous system. They happen automatically. And so just recognizing that is something that your body learned to do based on what its early experiences were. And again, that's normalizing and validating. Um, and then figuring out how to work with that, right? Like how to work with that, which can include prayer and meditation and centering prayer and Jesus prayer. And, uh, you know, spiritual practices, I think, are, can be really useful here. But they're not the they're they're not the panacea. They're not the only answer, right? So sometimes it's that and it's again we're back to the both and. It's it's those spiritual practices and psychological work. Um, one of the things I believe really um, at the at the very core of my being is that if something is psychologically damaging, it can't be theologically sound. So when I hear religious people supporting practices and processes that I know are psychologically damaging to people, I don't think it's theologically sound, but they do, right? Like they really, and they were really sort of cling to that. And so I think that's an important part of this process. That's part of the conversation is there are people who believe um, that some of these processes are really theologically sound and are, are really kind of, they're not looking to transform that. They're looking to really kind of um, hold that really, really tightly. So there's a, there can be a lot of resistance to doing this differently, as you might imagine. 
It's what people know. It's what they're comfortable with. It's probably just not working for them in a very good way. Yeah, unfortunately, spiritual bypass is promoted in a lot of our church communities. It can be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, for good and bad, I do think that the church is a place where where those of us who are burdened, who are broken, who are incomplete, who are wounded, we're drawn, right? Because it's a place of, of um, faith and grace and mercy, and we all want that. It, it, at a conscious and an unconscious level, we're longing for that. We're longing for to be loved just as we are, right? And God can give us that. The rest of us humans will fall a little bit short on that mark. Um, but why would we not be drawn to that? But then there's a, a, a saying, of course, in recovery communities that hurt people hurt people. Right. And so sometimes in our own woundedness, that's the very space that we hurt other people from. It's not it's not malicious, usually. Um, uh, again, I think I think all the people who were telling me not to be sad because my father was in a better place. I think their hearts were in the right place. Um, they were just a little bit misdirected. Um, their own discomfort with strong emotion was was probably kind of driving that. And so I don't think it was malicious. But if I were not a little more savvy around this, I could feel guilty about being sad. And that will complicate the grieving process, right? So I'll try not to feel sad about my loss as opposed to recognizing that, yeah, I'm just going to see something in the next few weeks and months. I'm going to see something. I'm going to hear something. I'm going to smell something. It's going to remind me of my dad and I'm going to burst into tears because I miss him, you know, and then that's part of the healing, healing journey. So, And that was one of the things that I really took away from your teaching a couple of years ago as well. It's just embracing tears and treasuring tears Sometimes when we feel those emotions, we say, I'm sorry, I didn't know I was going to feel this. I apologize for Mm -hmm. welling Mm -hmm. up with tears. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear it. I hear that. um, I hear that apology all the time in in the therapist's office, you know, when when clients are sitting there and some emotion comes forward for them. And I I know that they've just, they've been taught somewhere that it's not okay, you know, and it's, so I just gently encourage them like, hey, this, you know, I I sometimes kind of smile and go, you know, this is a therapist's office. Like if you can't cry here, you know, like, where can you cry? Like, I just think that's beautiful. The, the work you just did was amazing and beautiful. I often think about like, um, you know, when you have a really, really a good cry, right? Like people will say ugly cry and I go, no, it's a beautiful cry. It's not an ugly cry. It's a beautiful <laughs> cry. But when you have those really big cries, you know, there's a moment when, when, when the, the emotion breaks and you take an, a big inhale, everybody does it. Just watch the next time you feel something really strongly. There will be a point in time where you have released something that you are holding on to, and then you will draw in breath, which is the spirit of God and my, my belief system. And that is healing and beautiful and wonderful and only possible if you release the sadness, right, in that moment. So anger needs to be released and sadness needs to be released. And we have ways to do that, healthy ways to do that, right? We have some unhealthy ways to get rid of anger sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, we have also have healthy ways um, to get, get anger out of the body, right? And so I just, I just think that I think, you know, we, we, we think that, you know, sitting in blissful prayer is a spiritual act. Sure it is. But so is weeping. It's no less, to me, that's no less as part of the spiritual journey. Um, Meister Eckhart said spirituality is more about subtraction than addition. That's part of that is releasing those things because I think that creates space for the spirit uh, to move in us. And so I just, yeah, I just think it's, um, uh, uh, yeah, I I love a good cry. What can I say? I love a good cry. (laughs) I wonder if we could name that, that act of using spirituality to enter reality. Mm -hmm. 
um, mm-hmm. rather than bypass it. What do you think? Can we give it a title? I'd love, I'd love for you to come up with a really good catchphrase for that, because I think that's at the heart of this. That's what we're really talking about, is does our religious and spiritual life move us closer into contact with the totality of our reality? So you got, you got an idea? You got an idea for a catchphrase for that? I think it'd be beautiful. Spiritual entry? Spiritual courage. I mean, it's courage, right? It's courage yeah. to face the things that scare us. It's moving in. It's moving toward the things that scare us rather than away from them. The things we're uncomfortable with. Yeah. Let's keep working on that one. We haven't stuck the landing on that, but I love the idea. Like what's the opposite of spiritual bypass, right? Like what's yeah. The, yeah. Well, spiritual courage sounds like a good starting point. Well, we'll keep working on it. I don't think we've stuck the landing on that. We'll, we'll, we'll okay. keep talking about that. All right. Craig, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing so much wisdom. What is your favorite thing about the journey of freedom and healing? Yeah, what a great question. Wow. I just think, um, you know, I think this process that we're talking about um, and being liberated from these maladaptive coping strategies, because, you know, they are, they do, they do help us survive and they need to be honored in that way. But they also keep us from the fullness of life um, and the fullness of encountering God, I think, really, really, really encountering God. I don't mean studying about God, I mean encountering a living God. And, so I think it's, I think about that, you know, Paul wrote so much about like freedom from bondage and liberation and that he used that language. And, and I just think that's the way I think about that, that we can, you know, what I, what I believe I was taught this years ago, and I've, I've long believed this, we have one faucet for our emotional experience. And if we can't pour out our anger and we in a healthy way, again, and we can't pour out our sadness and we can't pour out our fear and we have no way to unburden our shame, we have no way to release that. And we're just, uh, we're just jamming up the plumbing. And so our joy and our bliss and that, that connection um, that we, we can't really feel that either. Um, and so I think that's part of why this really resonates for me is being able to feel it all um, opens us to a new level of encounter with God. So that, that's what I think about when you ask that question. Yeah. Yeah. To have that faucet flowing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that the presence of God is coming to me and through me, yeah, overflowing. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And if we don't experience those emotions, if we don't experience those undesirable emotions, if we're always suppressing that, they will erupt in ways, right? So we try not to ever get angry and then we get rageful about some tiny little thing, right? It's just, it's a pressure cooker model. It's got to have release. And the same thing with sadness. We'll be just, we'll say, well, I'm not sad. I'm not sad. I'm not sad. And then we end up staying in bed for two weeks because we're depressed because we've been depressing our emotional experiences. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. I don't really know what to say, but this is really good. (laughs) Yeah. No, I appreciate the conversation. Yeah. I mean, you're a good interviewer. So you help, you help bring out good stuff here. So I appreciate that. Well, thanks, Craig. And for everyone else out there, always remember, you are God's beloved son, and in you, he is well-pleased. 